we tend to think, maybe are encouraged to think, that we are isolated beings. Really, we live in a web of causes and conditions. The fact that we're feeling anxious, that we go to a public place or we look at any news or media on this, the fact that anxiety arises is arising out of a set of causes and conditions. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. You may have noticed that we've had some extra shows interspersed here into what's usually a weekly podcast. We're all living through this coronavirus situation. It's changed our world dramatically in just a few weeks. And so I feel like it's part of Geological's mission and part of an opportunity that we have to bring you whatever we can that you might find helpful in addition to the regular podcast, something else that might be more useful, very specifically for the COVID situation. So please do keep tuned to your podcast feed because you're going to find that we're going to be laying down some extra stuff here. Often it would go on to the geologician side of the house, but right now, because of the current climate that we're all living through together, I want to make sure that these are available. Geological does come to you to some degree with the support that those of you who are geologicians offer to the show. If you find the podcast to be helpful, especially if you find these extra episodes to be useful, please do consider a monthly or yearly membership to the podcast to help keep supporting the effort here. I am delighted today to bring you Greg Bantic. Greg has been on the show previously, and I read something of his on Facebook, and it wasn't so much what I had read that caught my attention. It was the way I felt after I had read it. And so I thought I'd have a little discussion with Greg. This would be something that would perhaps be useful to all of you in being able to sort of recalibrate your nervous system, settle your shen a bit, and ideally something that you could perhaps share with your patients, family, friends, just people that you know that might help them to get a sense of what else might be going on in this time and to be able to settle and really find out something about what's happening in this current moment. So without further ado, I bring you Greg Bantic. Greg Mantic, welcome to Geological. Thank you for having me, Michael. Good to talk with you. Always a delight to talk with you. In some ways, I'm sorry that we're having this conversation at this time because this is a rough moment that we're going through. And uh, I reached out to you just a day or so ago, or maybe it was this morning. It's hard to tell at this point because time has gotten really weird in my mind. It's hard to keep things straight. You had written something on Facebook a lot of people are writing things on Facebook. But there was something about the way that you had written. It wasn't necessarily what you had written, but there was something about the way that you had written it that really got my attention. And it got my attention because this anxiety that I'm feeling, like I suspect most other people are feeling at this particular moment, it kind of dampened down. It just kind of drained out of me after reading what you had to write. And I thought, hmm, maybe it would be helpful to have a podcast conversation. We could talk about what's going on in a way that would be perhaps helpful to our colleagues in the practice of medicine, but maybe also something that they could share 
with the people that they take care of. Because I'm not here to talk today about like how we treat this. I'm interested in a conversation, and we'll see how this goes, on how we live through this together. Hmm. Well, I share your anxiety and probably the anxiety of many. We both have connections in China. It was difficult to watch this start up and um, see perhaps people we know or people close to people we know in very real difficulty. Some of the um, misinformation perhaps about China. And now this virus has spread to um, personal friends in Japan and Korea and more recently in Europe and now it's in Australia and the US and we're perhaps just at the beginning of something that's going to over the next couple of months get a little worse and none of us really know. I have been in touch with some local public health people here and very much admiring of the preparations that they've already started to put in place and the attempts to get all of the sorts of equipment, testing equipment, ventilators, whatever might be needed. It's very impressive to see our public health service response. But we're still left with, um, for those of us that are small business owners, of which there are many, many that are going to be already are being affected by this, there's uh, a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry and concern. I keep hearing of people worried for their elder relatives or people with other pre-existing conditions. And there's just so much we don't know. And we're not sure of how it's mm -hmm. going to go or, or what we can do in the face of it. Self-isolation, staying at home to my artist friends sounds like a wonderful thing to do. They get to paint or draw or do things more. But of course, there may be loss of income. There's many reasons or many sources or triggers for our anxiety. Yes. Well, that's one of the things that I am particularly interested in. I mean, partly because I'm dealing with it myself, partly because I'm watching it all around me, this deep, deep, deep sense of uncertainty. Now, as human beings, and especially if you've spent any time with some meditation or Buddhist practice, you're aware that, yes, we live in this from one uncertain moment to the next. In some ways, that's lovely as a practice. But, oh, man, when it comes to town in the form of something like this, it's a whole different kettle of fish. So one of the things that has really struck me about this is that, on one hand, we have the biologic aspect of this virus. And yet on this other hand, and, and not everybody's affected yet, not everybody's infected with the biologic, you know, coronavirus itself, but everybody who at least has a computer or some connection with someone who has a computer or access to media has been infected at this sort of psycho-emotive social layer that we all share and is ramped up because of the technology that we have these days. That's a whole different level of anxiety than, than people would usually have. And so, you know, again, I remember reading some, you know, that thing that you had written and there was something in its tone that 
I found dialed down my anxiety. I'm wondering if you have some thoughts for folks about what they can do to, to, to be able to sit with what's happening, to be able to, you know, be calm in the moment as the moment is. Mm. As we've talked on a previous podcast, Michael, on causes and conditions, we tend to think, maybe are encouraged to think, that we are isolated beings. Really, we live in a web of causes and conditions. The fact that we're feeling anxious, that we go to a public place or we look at any news or media on this, the fact that anxiety arises is arising out of a set of causes and conditions. It's not uh, helpful, I don't think. In fact, it can be punishing in a way to say there's something wrong with me because I'm anxious. Anxiety will come up, fear, grief, whatever our unique way of experiencing it has to arise, just like if you go outside in the hot sun, you will feel hot. This is kind of part of what's going on. It's not helpful to add the extra burden, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling helpless, I don't know what to do, to add the extra burden of going, therefore, there's something wrong with me. I'm broken, I'm deficient in something. This is what comes up. So rather than you know yelling at um, some public health or political responses to these things, or rather than giving ourselves a hard time, it's like, how do I help myself? I really am anxious. This is really difficult. This is not easy. How do I help myself? And by extension, my neighbors, my friends and family, given that this series of strong feelings, strong moods have arisen, how do I care for that? How do I look after that? I, um, <laughs> I was laughing when you said, oh, yes, it's like the last time we talked, causes and conditions. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, it's funny sometimes there's certain basics and it's like, oh, yeah, well, there's some basics. And why are they the basics? Well, because they're the basics. Mm. But you said something else that really caught my attention. You talked about us being sort of within this web of uh, causes and conditions. And, and one of the things that I've noticed with this whole situation, and, and I notice it mostly when I see pictures of empty grocery store shelves or warehouse shelves that have nothing on them, warehouse shelves with mm. nothing, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, thinking about, wow, what if my supermarket doesn't have food next week? Mm -hmm. And it very quickly makes me recognize how incredibly interdependent we all are. And most of the time that is completely invisible to me. I uh, hope that out of this sort of uh, stressful situation we might all begin to recognize that we are interdependent, have always been, will always be, and that um, taking care of ourselves and the people around us is uh, the way to have a better, easier, happier, calmer, peaceful world. It, it seems that when fear shows up, it's very difficult to sidestep it. You know, I, I, when I was a kid, I remember reading the, uh, the Dune series. Did you ever read that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> Similar generation. I think we all read it. Right. Yeah. And, and there's that lovely line in there about fear is the mind killer. Hmm. I don't remember the rest of the quote, but, I, but that's one that has always stuck with me. Hmm. Fear is the mind killer. It really does shut down our empathy and our, and I think it adds to the anxiety and yet it's so easy to get caught up in it. It is. What is our fear? It's very uncomfortable bodily sensations and a series of thoughts. You know, what if I'm, you know, going to die or what if a friend I know dies or I don't particularly want to be on a ventilator for, you know, we just do that kind of catastrophic thinking and we have these very strong sensations. It's awful. What I would encourage us all to do is rather than to try and run from it, is what's going on here? There's a series of thoughts. I have images that come with them. I have these very unpleasant sensations to be curious about what our experience is, not to turn away from it. We may only be able to do this for one or two breaths before we do genuinely need to turn away from it because it's too strong. But to be curious about it, to go, wow, this set of symptoms, this set of signs is intense. It's really difficult. How do I take care of it? In other words, to have a more kind of kindly and curious relationship with it rather than one of aversion, which I think just is like throwing more wood on that fire. I, I, I love that idea about being curious about our experience. So I, I've had this thought, and there are lots of thoughts come and go in a time like this, all, and, and including all the ones that you just mentioned about stuff that I want to turn away from very quickly. But one of the thoughts that I have had, you know, you can look out your window. I'm actually looking out my window right now as we're having this conversation. There's just so much life and it's just, you know, it's incredible in its diversity. Um, and it's all interconnected. And, you know, I think all of our spiritual traditions talk about a sanctity of life and a, in, a, in, in a web of life. Everything is connected to everything. And at a certain level, I have that. And then something like this particular version of the coronavirus comes along and I go, that's the enemy. That thing is evil. That thing is bad. And for short moments, I've been able to look at it and go, it's part of life like the rest of us are part of life. And it's here in the same way that the rest of us are here. And if I wasn't a human being that was potentially going to suffer because I am a human being, what other relationship would I have with a COVID virus? Because, you know, I see some trees out here that have suffered because of road work that's been done and their roots got damaged and they're starting to die. I'm thinking these trees might be really happy if there were fewer humans around to destroy their roots because they want to fix their roads. It, and, and I'm not trying to put a gloss on it that's like a rainbow and unicorn gloss, but I wonder about this thing as a part of life, no different than us. Well, I think it is, and it's not a kind of common cultural practice to acknowledge that we get sick, we age, and we all die. All living beings do, and this would be a part of perhaps even a daily practice for some religious traditions to remind ourselves of this and that 
all beings suffer and all beings want to be happy, want to have a happy and fulfilled life. Uh, not just humans, not just this country versus that country, but all beings really want that. Our tendency to narrow down and to go, this is an enemy. Uh, for example, as you said, it's I'm in opposition to something else. It is true that this virus is dangerous and it's to be avoided and we want to minimise exposure to it. But that would be like um, saying, I want to not walk out onto a freeway of speeding cars or we're avoiding threats all the time. But rather than to generate a, you know, this is an enemy, this is to be destroyed, all of that sort of attitude, it's how do I get better at recognizing that these are the sorts of behaviors that would put me at risk. These are the sorts of behaviors that would minimize risk. That's kind of studying causes and conditions. Out of what sort of conditions is my mind more at ease? If I keep saying to myself, this is an enemy or that person or that party or that country is an enemy, then I'm going to keep kind of fueling that. But if it's like, there's something here that makes me very uncomfortable, it's very difficult to deal with, how do I help myself through it? It's a kind of softer or a more kindly, curious way of responding to difficult situations, difficult internal states and external states. What kinds of things are you doing to both be kindly towards yourself and take care of yourself and to take care of those that you care about? Yeah, um, I should say I haven't been um, always graceful doing this. A few weeks ago, <laughs> I don't know if any of us are. Uh, yeah, because a few weeks ago in clinic, when I was talking to somebody on the front line, then you know I got a bit impatient and short-tempered with my co-workers that we should have a much more robust response to this. We do have a much more robust response now in clinic. But the way that I brought it up was a bit clumsy. But when we talk about um, how do we best care for ourselves, it's not necessarily something kind of only about our mental or psychological well-being. It's also the things that I mentioned in the post of, you know, regularly washing our hands, wiping down commonly used bench surfaces. It's these very practical things, taking our work clothes off, washing our clothes more often. It's all of those things are caring. If I have a sniffle and I go to visit or take some food to an elderly friend, wear a face mask because that's taking care of them. It's being kindly towards them. And then there are more and less reliable information sources. And I find that if I go directly to the healthcare experts, that is in our medicine, and in uh, the biomedical community, the information is clearer, plainer, straightforward, unembellished. But if I listen to, say, some politicians or some people with an agenda to further, then my anxiety goes up. It's not that my anxiety doesn't go up reading clearer, simpler information, but the, it doesn't have the kind of 
feverish packaging that often comes with um, certain groups trying to whip up a certain reaction to further their particular aims. When we think of causes and conditions, out of what sorts of causes and conditions is it more likely that feelings of ease, of respite, of calm are likely to come? And for me, that would be practicing calligraphy, doing some drawing, talking to a good friend, taking a long walk outside in the sun. These sorts of things are more likely to lead, for me, to uh, feeling more at ease. And so if I want to feel more at ease, I have to cultivate those causes and conditions. Yes, and now because so much is shut down, and for good reason, for very, very good reason, we have time to do this. You have a, a meditation practice, and this is something you've been working on for a while. Um, I have a bit of a practice. You know, for other people, their practice is playing guitar or piano, or maybe they write, or they, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of things that we do that, you know, kind of just allow us to feel alive and, and satisfied in the moment. But right now, because there's so much disruption in our usual routine, I don't, I don't know about you. I don't know about others listening to this. I'm feeling incredibly like unmoored, like a boat without a rudder. It seems in a time like this to have something that we can kind of come back to that gives us that sense of stability, gives us a sense of being connected is super important because the usual ways that I am used to unfolding my life, they're not available to me right now. And, and that alone is a, I mean, it brings up tremendous grief is what it brings for me at this time. Hmm. I'm not um, pretending I have all the answers here because it's, uh, there's a very real risk that my source of income, if this goes on for months and I, nobody comes into clinic or I can't open a clinic, my source of income goes away. I lose my job. But that's just one of maybe many possible ways that we can feel really, uh, as you said, kind of unmoored, you know, and, and floating here that the future seems much less certain or predictable than we thought it was. If I was talking to you as a patient or a student and you were saying these things, I would encourage you by asking questions. What is it that's most difficult about that? You know, like what, what is it that's, I'm not asking you to respond publicly, but, you know, just to, mm. to say what is it, what's the, really the most difficult part? What is it that's really bothering you the most? Even down to, you know, is it more workplace or is it more strong feelings or strong thoughts? Or, the more we know about it, the more we're curious about it, the better our capacity to find a kind of mooring for that particular thing. In other words, to not leave it big and vague, but to try to narrow down a little bit and say, what is it that's really troublesome here? You know, so for example, having closed your clinic for a little while hasn't stopped you reaching out to colleagues and, and uh, recording a podcast. So that may not be the primary concern. So there may be something else. And so to just gently through questioning, 
through gentle inquiry, what is it that's really bothering us? You know, what is it that we're struggling the most with? That may be hard to look at. It may be hard to tr even try to explore. But I think that helps us better understand this is what I need to do to help myself. We have very little influence on the public health thing. So if I just keep thinking of that, I may be missing something else that's going on that's maybe more difficult to get to and hence my attention goes away from it. What is it that's really most difficult about this for me? Because as you said, oh, you know, I have to stay at home for a couple of weeks. You know, that's like I was at an art store the other day and the artists that were in there were saying, I would look forward to somebody saying to me, you know, I want you to go home and stay at home and don't come out for a couple of weeks because they would just be involved in their artwork. But of course, they have financial concerns. They wouldn't be getting paid necessarily. But even f a financial concern, what is it in particular that's bothersome about that? You know, like what are we bringing to it? What comes up for us around that? Well, I love the... Again, and I mentioned this earlier in the conversation, but the sense of curiosity about our experience. I'm getting this sense, at least for myself, that curiosity can be a bit of an antidote to this deep sense of uncertainty that I've been at times drowning in. Yes. And that's helpful. That's super helpful. I feel like that's mm. something I can do. The other thing is I, my introvert friends jokingly but not so jokingly, you're like, wow, three weeks, I don't have to go out and talk to anybody? Great. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and when I think about, you know, an artist being able to just go and paint, I look at my life and a number of projects. There's a book I'm working on. Hmm. It's like, wow, well, you know what? Maybe the next three weeks is work on the book. I had thought at some point, you know, I'm just going to have to go away for like a month and then I'll be able to focus and concentrate. Well, Maybe that month is here right now. Yeah. No, I, I also think too, Michael, uh, these are the things that curiosity can reveal to us. Maybe there are other things that I've been putting off that I'd like to do, that I could do and so on. After the first big wave of fear and anxiety and all, and we, we are curious, uh, maybe we're forced to be curious because we are stuck at home, then we start mm -hmm. to work out some other ways of helping ourselves through it of actually turning it into something that's useful. It's this self-isolation is the term that's that's used. I think the term itself is scary. And I think it's uh, yes, also it kind of counterproductive. Um, mm -hmm. I might be at home with my family, but we shouldn't isolate ourselves. We're human beings. We need connection. So we do this sort of thing. I've been very pleased that there are there's a group of youths that are saying, um, if any elderly folks need any help at all, we're here to help you. And other people saying, I go past the supermarket on my way to and from work. If anybody needs anything to be picked up and dropped off, I'm more than happy to do it. We shouldn't stop volunteering. We shouldn't stop helping. We shouldn't stop being connected with the people around us. Even if you do go to the store, you know, if you're not infected, but you're staying at home and you do go down to the store, well, stop and talk to the checkout person because they're probably scared too. And just to oh say hello yeah. and how's your day going? 
you know, I hope everything's okay. Are you using your hand sanitizer? Not in a kind of critical way, but just, mm-hmm. just kind of reaching out. You know, because self-isolation, it's like, oh, I'm going to have to go and kind of live in a, a cell for a while. No, you know, most of us have reasonably comfortable homes. We have windows we can look out of, but we can also reach out and talk and share with our neighbours. And um, we tend to think of all that's going to potentially go away. Or as you said in the beginning, that this may change us in ways that we will never fully recover from. And yes, that's true, but it's also true that this may allow us to develop better, kinder, more insightful ways of being and relating to each other. That's also true. It's also possible. That's a counter to our fear and our anxiety and uh, our grief and so on. Yes, I, I have a friend who often uses this phrase, and I love this phrase because it <laughs> it's gotten me through some tough times, but she likes to say it's very difficult to tell the difference between things falling apart and things falling together. I agree entirely. And again, the amount of interdependence that I see we have with each other that is showing up, usually because of shortages and concerns about supply chains and you know factories in china that are not manufacturing things that Mm. the rest of the world depends on and so those may be drying up in the near future there's all these ways that we have of noticing wow you know i'm not this you know cowboy person independent living on my own i am truly in a web of life and a web of connection with other people. Hmm. And we exist for not very long without it. Yes. But living with that realization, I don't know. It's like, it's, I usually don't notice it. It's only a moment like this where hmm. it really starts to come through. Yeah. And we could um, grow the realization that our happiness, our well being, our stability, our health, even, is dependent on the health and well-being of those around me is it even possible to be truly happy when many other people are suffering i don't think it is and so we have the possibility to recognize that um, we are all in this together and not just humans you know we've we've just recently been through uh, some of the worst bushfires and droughts mm. in our country that we've we've ever seen, and the outpouring of affection for all the trees and the koalas and the insects and the birds was really touching. Um, that maybe we're starting to get that we are part of natural systems. We're not distinct from them. We can't get by without them. In the face of personal and um, family or social difficulties, we have some capacity to respond. It may not always be skillful initially, but we can stay open and curious to when I respond with anger and crankiness, what's going on around me? You know, like what does that engender in others? What sort of reactions do I start to get back? Is that really? 
helping me or helping others. You know, and this is, and we go, when I'm a little more patient, a little more attentive to others, even people at the supermarket checkout and so on, it's calmer, it's friendlier, we're doing better. So maybe that's my practice. That's what I need to continue to develop. In terms of your other practice, your acupuncture practice, curious to know how you're seeing you could use the skills that you have, especially if you might not even be able to see people face to face. How do you see yourself being helpful? Yeah, this is a a work in progress. I'm certainly no expert in treating this virus. So there's a few things I'm doing is to try to find out then what's the reputable information that's out there from people who have actually treated it. So mostly Chinese sources. And then what are some of the traditional thoughts and theories around it? So it's going back and looking up some of the formulas in the Shang Hanlun and the Jingwei and so on, our classical textbooks, which interestingly are on these sorts of contagious conditions from cold. And uh, I've also checked with suppliers, do I have enough of those herbs? trying to prepare, trying to understand, trying to revise some of the information, uh, making sure I've got supplies if I'm starting to see people. You know, we know that there isn't necessarily just the one formula or even two or three. You still have to treat people as individuals, as how they're presenting. So what I'm doing in clinic is encouraging people to continue to take their herbs that If they're working towards being in the best shape they can possibly be, they are working on their resistance to possible viruses. So I still keep plugging away with people, you know, like take your herbs. If you can come in and have an acupuncture treatment, remember to get enough rest and exercise and all of the things that we know are important to us. And by rest, I also mean to rest our mind. How do we really calm and rest our minds we do need that it's important to us in our clinic we've said if anybody has any respiratory problems to at the very least talk to their practitioner before they come into clinic if they feel that there's any possibility that they may have been exposed to the virus to go to the fever clinic which we have one not far from the clinic here um, at the hospital and to get a check and not to come into the clinic, but also not to go into any clinic. Even our local Mm -hmm. GPs and all are giving the same advice. And then to to folks that uh, aren't well or they are self-isolating or uh, they've been asked to by their work to uh, let's at least try and talk via, you know, this sort of platform so that we can stay in touch and we can make up prescriptions and send them out. This is kind of where we're at in our clinic. We have a very now robust program of wiping down all uh, treatment tables and all common use areas like the bench, our FPOS machines, our phones, our pens, all of these sorts of things we're doing regularly. And you know, staying in touch with uh, health officials' advice. Would you say the COVID virus has been 
in Australia. I'm not as familiar with the situation down there as I am here in the States or, you know, China for that matter. You know, don't don't hold me to this, but I'd say about four or five weeks. Um, mm-hmm. We had our first cases in Brisbane, which Brisbane is the capital city of our third largest state, a third most populous state on the East Coast. Uh, Monday or Tuesday of the week before last. Perhaps the more alarming statement is that we're doubling tested cases about every six days. This is the kind of thing I think that epidemiologists are very concerned about. Anyone that knows exponential growth knows that you start getting these J curves and that's when big trouble can arise. What is the testing situation there? Here in the States, it's a bit of a, uh, I think we kind of missed our window on it, actually. They're, they're still trying to get it ramped up. How's the testing down there in Australia? Again, I can only kind of talk anecdotally here, Michael, but our, as far as I know, our local fever clinics have testing kits And there's about a 48-hour turnaround on results. But I think from what I've heard is that uh, a number of um, GPs, a number of smaller clinics, maybe even some of the bigger hospitals are starting to run out of test kits. So we're Mm -hmm. now in the situation of saying, you look like you might have, uh, so please self-isolate. I'm no epidemiologist, but this is better than nothing. But it would be better if we were able to find out, is this person really testing positive to track the numbers? We're running out of a number of supplies and um, test kits and other things. So, You know, I think a lot of that uncertainty, too, comes from we don't really know what the infection rate is. And so, you know, we get these numbers and we're not sure they're trustworthy, yep. but it's all we've got. You know, again, it just throws us into that place of not knowing if we, we, we don't know how to trust our experience. We don't know how to make sense of our experience when there are some basic numbers that, that we would hope to have that just are not available. Yeah. And I, I think the advice that seems to be going on certainly here and I know also in the States of, um, you know, closing down large events and things, maybe possibly schools and so on, is a a kind of reasonable response to these things. When we say we can't trust our own experience, Michael, I think that this this is maybe something that we do to ourselves. It may be hard to get the sort of information that we would want that's reassuring or at least that is tracking things but we can trust our own experience that right now you and i are sitting talking to each other we can have a sense of do i have a sore throat do i have a cold i can take my temperature we can trust our experience on that level if not on the informational or social level we can come back to, uh, you know, I am tired. Maybe I should have try and fit in a nap somewhere in there today. And we can pay attention to that level of our experience, which is really perhaps fundamental and very important and out of which better self and other care comes. I really appreciate your reminder about that. 
because I know for myself, it's easy to kind of spin off in my own mental world about how things are and who's responsible and how I wish it was different and, you know, on and on and on. And the reminder to, to come back to what's happening here, what's happening now. Where am I now? Oh, I am tired and I can rest, mm. right? I have no patience in the next two weeks. So I can rest and, and to take that as an opportunity and, yeah. and to bring curiosity to the parts uh, that are confusing or troublesome. Yes. We mentioned somewhere in the conversation about frontline healthcare workers. Um, mm -hmm. When I first talked to someone, they're having online updates now rather than getting together in large group meetings. But they kind of needed to unload a little bit of their anxiety. So I sat through hearing all sorts of plans and worst case scenarios and, you know, possible things that could go wrong. And I was, I came out, you know, feeling quite disturbed by it. But also that it's their job to imagine the worst case scenario, to kind of go into mm. that freaky space of what if this happens? What do we need to help us get through it? And I was very admiring of that because that's what I've, I guess I've been saying to you and to me and what I'd say to most of our patients is that there are people that are doing that work. They're paid to do that. That's their job. There's some of that that we need to leave to, for want of a better phrase, you know, the experts, the people that are really good at that. We may ask them, we may consult with them, we may get an update every now and again. But for me, for example, to get up to speed on all of that sort of thing, it's kind of probably impossible, but also a little bit pointless. So I can pay attention to what they're doing. And then I still have to come back to, Greg, you know, right now, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? What do you need? What's going on? What are you going to do today? Should you keep that appointment in real time or do it over the phone or online and we can all do that. It's not that difficult. It's not even that frightening. It's just, it may be inconvenient, but we can all do it and we can help and encourage each other to do it. Well, and we do it anyway. I mean, we're used to running our own life. It's just that the context that we're running it in is dramatically changed. I really like your point about there are people and they're experts. They've studied this deeply for years. They're paid to worry about it. They know how to worry about it, hopefully in productive ways. And it's not useful for us to try to do that. That would be like one of our patients trying to learn Chinese medicine to get helped by Chinese medicine. They mm. don't need to learn it. Yeah. They just need to get some treatment, follow yeah. the suggestions that we have, yeah. and, and do what they can for themselves based on that information. And I was speaking to a colleague of ours um, nearby who uh, used to work as a nurse. She's a nursing mum. So her decision was to close her clinic for a couple of weeks now and to take good care of herself because she's concerned if it does progress as it, as it seems to be, there may be more need of her services and her being well in a few weeks' time than there are now. But she's also saying that she's thinking of reaching out to her doctor and nurse colleagues, the frontline people, and offering some services specifically for them. 
because these are the people that are also putting their lives at risk. These are one of the population group that may experience the worst of fatalities and so on. So, and so she's thinking in that direction. So even as practitioners, can I do something for the frontline people? If I have elderly family members or elderly neighbors, how do I help them? You know, is there something, can I, um, you know, drop a formula in for them or get some fresh veggies for them or something like that? And mm -hmm. uh, So what uh, I'm hearing is our clinic may be closed, our work is not stopped. It just yeah. moves to other places. Yeah, I think this is a chance for us, Michael, to potentially be much more proactive than we have before. We've mm -hmm. fallen into the model of um, when you get sick, come and see us. But Chinese medicine has this tradition of health preservation and maintenance. Maybe we should be sending out to all of our patients, you know, regular updates. These are the sorts of health preservation and maintenance practices you can undertake. There's a series of people putting out, for example, um, some simple qigong exercises you can do to help uh, improve lung function. We should maybe be sharing them. We can have online consults. We can have uh, run a small group class uh, for people about um, simple health preservation and um, cleanliness and in the home. I'm just thinking of all this as we're talking. But I don't think it's necessarily time to shut shop. It's time to rethink how we've been doing what we're doing. I mean, we may not have patients walking in our door for a plethora of reasons, but there are ways that we can take what we know, share what we have, and, and be useful in, in places where we might not have gone previously, but now we have this opportunity. Yeah. We could have a, an online consult with our twenar or massage patient and run through with them which points to be massaging. You could make up a ginger poultice or some other very simple at-home topical poultices that your massage patients could be applying to the areas that have been bothering them, but also, say, to stomach 36 and other points that might help build their uh, resistance. What I hear is you being curious about the situation. Yeah. And this is what yeah. comes up. Yeah. Which is wonderful. Craig, anything else that you'd like to share with us before we uh, wind this down for this time? I would encourage us all to go. This is just one of a number of very difficult situations we've been facing individually, socially, culturally for some time now. This is a big one. It's very serious. It is going to change our lives in ways that we don't yet know. We do all need some respite, a break. We need to refresh ourselves. How do I really relax? How do I learn to concentrate, develop some of these really useful for the rest of our lives, but useful right now qualities of calm, relaxation, I'm not saying calm in the sense of calm as in nothing bothers me, but when I hear bad news, when this happens, when you know something difficult occurs, I have a more calm response to the intense feelings and thoughts that may be racing through me. 
Um, we all need this. It's important and to encourage each other, ourselves and each other, to work on these good qualities. I appreciate that and uh, plan to take it to heart. I know that I've been talking with my wife and her niece who lives with us over this past couple of weeks. And, you know, often those talks are about how we face things in life, not just this, but, you know, life itself. And uh, this is this is a potent moment for practice. Here we are. And, and there's, you know, as you know, Michael, there's many communities of practitioners that are approaching this really with curiosity, but very directly. And so reach out, you know, if you don't know, if you're unsure of skills, then this, this, this is a great chance to reach out to others to develop these skills. Well, I've heard, and I, and I do believe it's true that with every crisis, there is an opportunity. I don't always like being presented with opportunity, but uh, I do my best to take advantage of it if I can. The thing about curiosity really, it's an anchor for me. So I thank you so much for that. This is difficult, Michael. And our difficulty, our resistance, our not wanting to pay attention to it is also to be treated kindly hmm. and with curiosity. Great. Well, maybe we we'll don't have to like it. A... <laughs> we don't have to like it, but we do have to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. my friend. Take good care down there. Thank you, Michael. You two up there. I hope that you found this conversation to be helpful. I know it was deeply settling for me to have this conversation with Greg. It really does seem to me that this virus affects us to some degree on the physical level. For some people, it's deadly. For others, well... You know, it just helps build their immunity. But one thing for sure, it's got everybody affected in a certain way that has our spirits quite unsettled. It's an aspect of epidemic that I don't think we read about in our herb books or history books. We learn to treat the illnesses on the physical level, but here today I think we have a unique challenge, especially with our internet-connected world, to attend to the ways that this virus, and more importantly, our responses to it are causing problems in our lives, in our families, in our economies. And I have a feeling, I just suspect that while there's good work that we can do here at the beginning with herbs in particular, and maybe some Yangsheng practices, it's going to be a bit later as we come out of this that our medicine is going to be very, very helpful. And so even though we're in the beginning of a very potentially difficult time, crazy-making time when you think about it, do consider that as we come out of this, in whatever form it is and how it is, that there's going to be a lot of work for us to do, and it's a place where our medicine will be very useful. As ever, friends, thank you for listening, and uh, do stay tuned. There will be more of these extra shows popping up in your podcast feed. Do take care of yourselves.